Welcome to 5460, the Joe West Podcast. Featuring former Major League Baseball umpire Joe West. For six decades, no one has seen more baseball than Joe West. And now he shares those stories with you every week right here on the Podcast Heat Network. is asking the Reds to leave the field. I guess maybe as a form of security. Well, Joe West is not going back behind the, the catcher. So what is he doing? He, he wants to throw him out or what? He's not going to back away from confrontation. It's just not in his makeup. Which guy are we talking about back in the way? Well, come to think of it, hey, it's both guys. <laughs> and they're warning the Atlanta dugout now. A helmet came flying out. Bobby Potts, I don't think, threw the helmet. One of his players did. Bobby's jawing back at Joe West. But somebody's been tossed, and here comes Potts. It was Bobby Potts who threw the helmet out there. Off the umpire, oh. and that's a foul ball. Joe West gets drilled, and he appears none the worse for it. <laughs> He's a strong man. Nice. Now Joe's going to give him some argument because Mark's saying, "Why do you do?" Joe, just get over there and umpire, will you? Yeah. Just get over there and umpire. No. That's all. It's 5460, the Joe West podcast. Here's Joe West and your host. Mike Claiborne. Well, Joe, our guest today is a person that I'm anxious to talk to. You've known him for a long time. And I think the fact that he's the only American that has won championships in two different sports. There's only two people that have done it. Jack Kent Cook did it with the Washington Redskins and the Los Angeles Lakers. But he's Canadian. Jerry Reinsdorf is from good old <laughs> New York. And he is our guest today, the owner of the Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Bulls. Jerry Reinsdorf, thank you so much for joining us, sir. And my pleasure to be here. Well, let me ask you right off the bat, how did you and Joe West cross paths? Because, you know, we found out now that Joe knows virtually everyone, and now you're on the list. So you tell us how you guys cross paths. <laughs> well, I, I think I was introduced to Joe by Ken Harrelson. I don't know. You know, they're very close friends. But <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not sure. I mean, Joe is umpired enough of our games that, we did cross paths, and Joe was the head of the Umpires Association. We had conversations from time to time. Well, I the, my first recollection of having uh, conversations with you was at a, a meeting that you requested from Joe Torrey. <laughs> and I think I think you were upset that you felt like I was picking on uh, a member of your team, and I, I wasn't picking on him. He was. <laughs> He was actually not behaving himself, and I ended up kicking him out a couple of times. So you had you had asked Joe Torrey, why was I picking on your team? And and Joe said, I don't think he's picking on your team. I, I just think uh, something happened. You said, well, I would like to know why. And Joe said, well, why don't you ask him? And so we had that meeting in Arizona, if you'll remember. Yeah, I, re I remember the meeting. And it was, it was about a member of my team, but uh, 
It wasn't a player. It was. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't. No, it was a manager. Oh, that's right. It was the manager. It wasn't a player. <laughs> and uh, so we had a nice conversation, and and uh, I think both of us realized that we're both in this to protect the game of baseball, and nobody's holding a grudge against anybody. We're just trying to do our job, and I think you respected that when we had our conversation. And then, of course, you know, we had the situation with Hulk Harrelson hated me for calling a balk on one of your pitchers. And <laughs> and and that went haywire for a little while. <laughs> and then, and then uh, the funny thing about Hulk was uh, I had to miss the first half or, or the first 19 games of a, a season. And and uh, Steve Stone, your, your other broadcaster, said that this, this was Joe West's first game back and and Hawk said, uh, why? What was he out for? Because he was still mad at me about calling a ball on one of your pitchers. And he said, well, he, he had a little bout with throat cancer. And uh, you know how sentimental Hawk can be. So after the game was over, I'm in the shower, and your, your announcer, Hawk Harrelson, kicked in the door of the umpire's room, came charging <laughs> in, said, where is he? And, of course, the, the other three umpires are going, Who? <laughs> They said, where's Joe West? They said he's in the shower. So I'm in the shower, got soap in my hair and everything. He comes in, he starts screaming at me. He says, look, we can fight each other. We can kill each other. We can hate each other. But don't you die on me, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> and we've been friends ever since. So no, that's, but, uh, that's true. I, I remember walking on the air saying Joe West was a disgrace to baseball. And then, yeah. and then I don't know. A year later, I get a, <laughs> I get a text, well, a picture of you and and Hawk hugging each other on a golf course. At a golf course, yeah. <laughs> so, I guess but, neither neither of you held a grudge. No, no, and 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 you know that I think, I think the fact that you and I chatted about what our responsibilities are to the game uh, meant a lot to you. I know it meant a lot to me because you said just about the same thing I did that we're all in this together and we're all trying to make baseball as good as we can make it. And and I respected that about you. I, I remember telling you, stop by the umpire's locker room and just to say hello, just, just to, you know, introduce yourself to the umpires. And you, your question was, I can really do that. I said, absolutely. Absolutely. And they'd appreciate you coming by. So. And I have done that a couple of times, Yeah, but uh, look, I had nothing but respect for the umpires. They have no reason, uh, you know, to, to to want to affect the outcome of the game. doesn't matter if it's 10 nothing or one nothing. That, as far as I can tell, they call them the same. And the fact that, you know, you called call a balk on Burley when you shouldn't have, I don't hold that against you. <laughs> I can't believe you would say that, you know. <laughs> Frank, Frank Robinson actually said, you know, you called a balk on him in that first inning, and then three innings later he needed to pick a guy off, and he balked again. What, do you think you weren't going to call it again? <laughs> And Frank, Frank was our boss at the time, and he was, uh, he, he, he actually backed me up. He says, yeah, and, and he did say this, though. He said, you are one of the few guys that call box. And uh, I can remember when, when Mark threw his glove up in the air that the other three umpires said, no, Joe, no, don't kick him out. Well, we loved Mark Burley. He, he pitched fast games. We, we didn't want to kick him out. <laughs> but uh, so I. I remember that. And that's when Hawk went on his tirade because I think right. I think he was one of Hawk's favorites too. So well, everybody loved Mark. Mark's a great guy. Yes, and, uh, yes, he is. You know, he never shook off. 
a catcher. He just he, he got the ball, took the sign, and threw it. The only thing that bad about Mark was he screwed up our concession business. <laughs> hey Jerry, uh, for you, you know people get involved in ownership. What led you to want to get involved in ownership? And we'll start with baseball. Well, first of all, you have to remember I, I grew up in Brooklyn, and uh, at a time when the the Brooklyn Dodgers were everybody's religion. Uh, you know, it was, we didn't have much in Brooklyn. The Dodgers were the unifying thing, and you know, I was at Ebbets Field the first day Jackie Robinson played. So I just loved baseball. Uh, I never thought I'd be able to own a team. I was, I was always lucky to get the money to, go, to buy a ticket. But uh, many years later, after I got into business, I, uh, I, I saw an ad in the Wall Street Journal where somebody was advertising for people who might invest $500,000 to be a limited partner in a, in a baseball team. So I, I answered the ad. I love baseball. By then, I was living in Chicago. And uh, the Dodgers were gone from Brooklyn. I'm still upset about that. And uh, I answered the ad. This fellow had a plan to, to, to buy the uh, San Francisco Giants and move them to Toronto. And obviously, that didn't work out. And I don't know, a year or so later, he called me and said, I'm going to buy Cleveland. That didn't work out. Then he was going to buy the Mets. So that didn't work out. And I was at, taking a shower one day. And I started thinking, why in the world did I want to be a limited partner where I had nothing to say about running the team? Plus, in a team that didn't play in Chicago. In those days, they didn't have satellites. So I'd never get to see them play. And the thought occurred to me that the Bill Vec group that owned the White Sox at the time normally didn't own teams for very long. Bill's, uh, Bill's history was that he'd, he'd buy a team and five years later, turn it over, make a profit. So through a, through a friend that knew Bill, I contacted him. And he said, yeah, I'm getting ready to sell. And that's what happened. Well, that's, that's awesome. You know, uh, looking back on your your day that you saw Jackie Robinson's debut. Uh, I'm going to ask you this question because you were there, and I already know the answer, and I'm hoping you observed enough to notice this. Did you notice how many umpires were working the day that Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier? Well, I didn't notice it, but there probably were three because uh, Gladys, Gladys Gooding, the organist, used to, when the umpires came out on the field, used to play three blind mice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a cute story because there were only three umpires in the movie 42. Every game that Jackie Robinson played, whether it was in the minor leagues or in the major leagues, there were four umpires. So they obviously didn't research that to figure out how no. to get that right. But I, th that's I, a, that's yeah, a funny story. She played three blind mice. That's three cool. Blind mice every, when the umpires came out. I, you know, I, I, I really liked the movie. I really enjoyed the movie. But I made Oh, I thought list. it was great. Yeah. But I made a list of about 25 things that were wrong. Uh, but but you know nobody nobody cares about those things except me. The fact is the overall story was pretty good. Yes, it was. It was. You know, uh, I could I could remember getting up to sing at Mickey Gillies Club in Pasadena, Texas, and I would walk the piano player to the stage because he was blind. And when I would walk into the stage, his name was Frank Brown, and Frank would sit down at his, pian at his piano while one of the guitar players were playing Three Blind Mice. <laughs> And Frank would hit a G chord and look up and say, Joe, isn't that terrible? There's only two of us. <laughs> <laughs>
You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms, you're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind. What if something happens to your income? Hurry to goliathlife.com. Jerry Reinsdorf, you are one of the senior owners in Major League Baseball, and I, I would consider you one of the stewards of the game. What's the biggest change other than the TV money that you've seen over the course of your ownership? Well, of course, that is the biggest change is, is, is the money. I mean, my, my, my payroll in 1981, which is my first year, uh, for all 25 players was $3.5 million. And three guys were making a lot of money. Uh, Ronald Floor made 900 Carlton Fisk 550 Jim Essien 250 And the other 22 guys filled out a $3.5 million payroll. Now this year we're going to have a hundred and eighty-four million dollar payroll, and we're not even close to being anywhere, you know, to, to being one of the top teams. So the, mo- the money's the money's the biggest thing, uh, I think. And of course, uh, the pl- the players are different, but you know, people of every generation are, are different. But back back in, in in the early days uh, when, I, when I started watching baseball, and I went to my first game in 1946. Uh, you know, players all had jobs in the wintertime. They, they pumped gas. They, they worked in hardware stores. You know, now, and they came to spring training to get in shape. Now, you know, nobody works during the winter. And, uh, you know, the money is, the, the money is, is so huge. But when you, aside from the money, the, I think the game is, was played more intelligently in the old days. I, I, you know, I, I rarely did you see a guy throw to the wrong base or, Failed to hit a cutoff, man. I, I I think those those early players played the game more intelligently, primarily because it took them five six years to get through the minor leagues. I remember the Dodgers had twenty five farm clubs, and so by the time you got to the big leagues, you really were schooled in how to play the game. Yeah, and looking back on that, when when O'Malley had the had the teams at Vero Beach, his minor league teams roomed where the big league teams were. I mean, so they they actually grew up together. So. Yeah. What, what you're talking about is is really good because uh, uh, they they would feed off the experience from the big leaguers re- even in the home camp. And uh, I can remember going to, to Vero Beach for spring training games and and uh, there'd be an A-ball player talking to Don Sutton or there'd be an A-ball player talking to Don Drysdale. You know, it could it, just uh, just the correlation of the the veterans talking to the younger players was was different. And that's another thing, you know, uh, since we consolidated umpires in both leagues, some of these, some of these guys don't know who all the umpires are. When I came up in the national league, uh, we would see the clubs at home at their home field three to four times. Now we're lucky to go to each city one time because we have to work both leagues. So, uh, it makes, it makes a difference in some of the relations between umpires and players too. But I can also remember when I started that they wanted to know what each one of you was like. I mean, when I came to the big leagues, there were players sitting on the bench asking other players, have you had this guy before? What's he like? Can you talk to him? Uh, can you argue with him? Can you say anything to him? You know, and uh, I can remember John Kibler coming over when I was in Atlanta. He said, uh, when you were in the minor leagues last year, did you kick out 50 players? And I said, no, I hadn't kicked out 50 players in my career. He said, well, they think you have, so don't change their mind. (laughs) (laughs) Jerry Reinsdorf is our guest. And, Jerry, uh, you've had some very good teams in baseball. So this may be a a loaded question for you. Best player that ever played for you? Wow. Uh, Probably Frank Thomas. 
probably Frank Thomas. He was, uh, you know, for a period of years, he, he probably was the best, the best right-hand hitter I think I ever saw. Uh, probably it was either Frank or Pujols or Miguel Cabrera, but Frank was definitely the best hitter that I ever had. He left a little to be desired around the first base bag, but he sure could, he sure could hit. <laughs> He'd make up for it with a three-run homer the next yeah. inning, so fact, that's how it normally works out. I saw, I, I saw him last night on our post-game show, and he commented that his goal was to drive in more runs than he let in. <laughs> <laughs> so well, Frank, Frank was a football player in college too, wasn't he? Yes, he and was. He, he, played he, a, he played a year at Auburn. Yeah, and, and you had – you had a friend who was a football player at Northern Illinois named uh, Fortunato, didn't you? Weren't you good friends with Dan Fortunato? No, I, I had a partner in a real estate business named uh, Don Fortunato. Don Fortunato, yeah, okay. He was he was a cousin of the uh, of the. Football oh, okay. Player. Yeah. I thought he was. I I thought he was the football player for some reason. No. You know. Hey, what but, about what about the other guy from Auburn? Uh, I think his name is Jackson. Yeah, I'm, Vincent, I'm, I, Vincent Jackson, <laughs> otherwise known as Bo. Otherwise known as Bo. Bo, Bo still works here for us. Bo's the great one of the great guys that ever played the game. He's just a, you know, it's unfortunate that he played football because he could have really been a great baseball player had he not gotten hurt. But he still uh, uh, he still lives in Chicago, in the Chicago area, and comes to a lot of games, does some stuff for us. Really, a very smart, intelligent guy who does an awful lot of good things in the community. You know, I had him in spring training when he came up with the Royals, and he fouled a ball off his foot, and he's hopping around the batter's box, and he's hopping around the and the trainer comes out to try to treat him and help him, and and he's hopping away from the trainer and going around the batter. He went around the batter's box three times. And I said, hey, if that was a linebacker, you wouldn't be doing that. If a linebacker hits you, you would he, and he jumped right back in the box. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a tremendous athlete. And, and you know what? I don't think he had enough time to learn how to play the game the right way because he was, he was just a tremendous athlete. He yeah, could I, do everything. I think football even kept him from being as great as he could have been. Because the offseason is important. The offseason is important in, in learning the game and reflecting on, you, uh, on what you did last year and what you're going to do next year. And Bo never had any, any time off. But his, no. uh, his power was unbelievable. His arm was unbelievable. And yeah. he could run like a deer. All right, so now I ask you about the best player you, you, that played for you. Who's the best player you ever saw? The best player I ever saw was Willie Mays. Uh, the most exciting player I ever saw was Jackie Robinson. But Willie, I think Willie was the best one I ever saw. I did see DiMaggio play near the end of his career, and I saw Ted Williams play. But, but all around, I think Willie probably was the, was the best player I ever saw. What kind of money would you have to pay him these days? Uh, well, you'd ask him what percentage of the team he would like to own. <laughs> <laughs> They asked him that. They asked him that at a banquet at Don Shula's hotel one night, and uh, Willie came down there to be the speaker. And uh, Mickey Rivers was sitting in the front row, and he said, "Willie, what would you command in today's market? How much would they have to pay you?" Because everybody had heard DiMaggio say what you just said. You give him part of the team, and Willie said, "Oh, I don't think you'd have to pay me a whole lot." And he and Mickey said, "What do you mean?" He, at 660 home runs, you stole more bases than anybody of the greatest outfielder in baseball. What do you mean that you wouldn't have to pay you a whole lot? He said, well, I'm, I'm 76 years old. I don't think I'd be very good right now. 
We're visiting with Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Chicago White Sox and also the Chicago Bulls. And Jerry, I mentioned earlier, you're the only American that's had a chance to be an owner of two teams that have won championships in different sports. Um, luck, skill, having good players, a combination of everything for that reason? Listen, luck enters into anybody's success. Uh, you know, no, no, Nobody can be a success without a lot of good luck and without other people helping you. And, uh, you know, when, when, when I bought the, the Bulls, Michael Jordan had been drafted, but he hadn't played. And the prior owners, they had no idea what they had in Michael Jordan. He averaged 18 points a game in college. I had no idea what Michael Jordan was. If they had any idea what he was, they never would have sold the team. So there's an awful lot of good luck in that. But but I also had a great general manager. He put, he put 11 other really good players around Michael to the championships. But but there was a lot of, you know, there was, it was total luck that my, Michael came to the, uh, the, to the Bulls and, the, and, and that I bought the team, you know, right after he was drafted. Well, you know, they, they often said that the only person that could hold Michael Jordan under 20 points was Dean Smith. <laughs> and that was his college coach. Right. <laughs> he wouldn't let him take over the game. So, but uh, yeah. And, and that's kind of interesting that you looked at it the way he only averaged 18 points because he didn't average a lot of points in college. So uh, that is interesting. You might not have got to buy that team if they'd let him go. Well, if they had known, if they had known what they had, I went back and I, I looked at the, uh, the newspaper reports the day after the Bulls drafted Jordan. And uh, Rod Thorne, who was the general manager, was quoted as saying so something like this. He's going to be a fine offensive player. You're not going to build a team around him, but he's going to be a fine offensive player. <laughs> Rod Thorne, what a good man. Uh, for you, Jerry, um, as you look at the game now, you've seen a lot of things good, some bad along the way. If there's one thing you'd like to see more of or less of, what might they be? Well, I'd like to see the second baseman standing on the on the dirt, not the grass. I, I, I hope we change that rule. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and I think that would open up the game a little bit, to, you know, fewer strikeouts, maybe fewer walks. Uh, but, you know, it's still a great game. Uh, we, we just have to tinker with it a little bit. We got to we do have to shorten the time. Uh, because you know today's younger generation, uh, I don't think they have the the the, uh, the desire to sit and watch a game for three hours. I think we need to get the games a little shorter. Uh, but I but you know we're working towards that. The commissioner's got a number of in initiatives. I think that'll shorten the game. Uh, still a great game, greatest game around. Well, it, it's it's typically American. You know, you you got to hit a round ball with a cylindrical bat, and then you got to hit it square. And then you got to hit it where they don't catch it. That's right. And That's then, right. and then because of that, if you fail at it, you're always looking to blame somebody, and usually it's us. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, look, but, you know, it's, you know, hitting is the hardest thing to do in sports. It's it's the only thing where if you succeed thirty percent of the time, you're a star. I mean, can you imagine a quarterback completing thirty percent of his passes? He, he wouldn't he wouldn't make it to the next game. I mean, no. Nope. Hitting is really, really difficult. Yeah, and, and there are no more Ted Williams, and there are no more Willie Mazes, and there are no more Joe DiMaggio's. Nobody's going to hit 400. They're just not going to do it. No, yeah. I, I think there are a number of reasons for that, one of which is the fact that uh, you know Williams, and when he hit 400, he probably faced the same pitcher three, four times in a game. Nobody, no, you know, no, no, nobody goes more than three times through the lineup. Now you got everybody's got a bullpen full of guys that are throwing 100 miles an hour. 
And so uh, it, 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 it's pretty tough for a hitter to, you know, to get as many hits as Williams got. I mean, that's, that's two hits every five times up. That's amazing. Well, you know, there was a, a, a podcast on about a week ago that uh, they interviewed Rod Carew. And they asked him, he said, what was your favorite song? <laughs> now think about that for a minute. What is your favorite song? And Rod Carew said, the national anthem. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean the national anthem? And he said, well, because when they played that, I knew I was going to get two hits. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did. Yep, he was something else. They, they asked him one time about the shift. They said, uh, what do you think you'd hit in the shift? He said, 900. <laughs> yeah, he probably would have. <laughs> just go the other way. Yeah. You just go the yeah, other he, way all the time. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, one guy I love to watch hit, and the shift didn't do any good against him, was Ichiro. Uh, he got five hits against us in a game once, and every one was a grounder that went into a different hole. He just he, – he was magic. He could hit the ball wherever yeah. he wanted to. Yeah, they could, he could really handle the bat, you know. I watched, uh, you know, I, I got, I've got a picture I found just the other day of uh, the game. Uh, it, it was a World Series game, and we asked Hank Aaron to come by the locker room just to say hello, and he was in a wheelchair at the time. And it was the last game of the Cubs uh, and the uh, Indians uh, World Series, and he came by the locker room. And when he passed away, they were showing all these videos of him hitting. And uh, and he hit just as many home runs the right center field as he did the left center field. And he hit the ball on the line, you know. And uh, and I think they're getting away from that. They're all trying to pull everything down the line. And that, that hurts their average, you know. Um, you, can't, uh, you can't teach what he did uh, and he, and – you know, he wasn't as flashy as Willie Mays, but I think he hit for just about the same average, maybe a little better. Uh, he might have had a higher average. And, yeah. uh, you know, he never hit 50 home runs in a year. No, he, no, he, he never hit 50. That's right. And, uh, buddy, and he hit line drives to the right center, left center, wherever the ball was pitched, he hit it. And uh, our guys today aren't doing that. And and I, I think that's hurting some of the offense of the game because uh, – they're all worried about pulling the ball out of the park. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think if we do something about the shift, that might, might change the players' attitudes. But you know, they, they get up there and they look at the, everybody on one side of the field, and they, and they know they can't, they probably can't hit it through those guys. So they try to, to hit it over. And then you get into this whole thing about the launch angle. And uh, you know, the fact is, if, if, if you're trying to uppercut your swing, you're, you're not, you're going to miss the ball more than if you're trying to hit a hit a line drive and i think that's that's probably the, the issue and so i think i think if we, we we do something with the shift i think you'll see batting averages go up and you'll see you'll see more doubles and more triples and you know fewer strikeouts yeah well i know i've mentioned this to you before but uh my biggest uh complaint about changing the rules was the dh and because i think it slows the game down and when i say that uh I say it because I grew up umpiring in the National League. And in the National League, I actually told somebody this. I said, if Tom Seaver threw more than nine pitches to the seventh, eighth, and ninth hitter, somebody fouled off a two-strike pitch. <laughs> and uh, and I, I mean that because the National League went right after the guys seven, eight, and nine. And in the American League, because of the DH, 
There's no pitcher at the end of the lineup, so they didn't do that. So they pitched completely different. And, and I look over the history of the game, and I see where Earl Weaver and Billy Martin burned out a lot of pitchers because of the DH. And I think that hurts the game in itself. And uh, so I, I was against them putting the DH in both leagues, even though from an owner standpoint, it might be better for you if my pitcher doesn't bat for injury reasons. However, I, I don't think it was good for the game. And that, that's just my opinion. And uh, you might have a different opinion. You might have an owner's side of this that I'm not seeing. No, I like the game better when, when the pitchers hit. I did. Uh, but the, the fans seem to, they, they seem to like the DH and I think that's why we went to it. Uh, but, you know, you, 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 met, you sort of alluded to one thing. In the National League, where the pitchers had a hit, I think it was better for their health because, uh, uh, you know, you, they might be pitching a good game, but be behind two to one in the seventh inning. They got to come out because the pitchers, uh, because, because they need a the pitcher can't hit and they want to score runs. Whereas with the DH, you could leave your pitcher in as long as, as long as he's pitching well and he doesn't get a blow. And I think in the, in the old rule with the hitters, the pitchers hitting, they, they'd get a blow once in a while. And that probably was better for their health, but the fans seem to want the DH and, uh, you know, we need to give the fans what they want because at the end of the day, it's the fans that own the game. You know, it's not the players, not the umpires, not the owners. We're all in, 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 in a way, just the custodians of the game. And this game belongs to the fans. If the fans overwhelmingly want the DH, then we got to give it to them. Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at SaveWithConrad.com. Jerry, when you look back at all the owners that you've been in rooms with over the years, who are some of your favorites and who may have been some of the more colorful owners in some of those meetings? Well, obviously, the single most colorful owner was George M. Steinbrenner III. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, he was, he was as colorful as anybody. And we had our battles, but we were great friends. We had, we had, we had a lot of laughs together. Uh, so he probably was the most colorful. But, uh, but there was some, you know, I really liked. I really liked Lou Wolf, And I liked uh, 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 the owner of Detroit, uh, Oh God! I forgot. Now I'm, I'm doing a senior moment, but uh, uh, they're, 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 Roy Eisenhart in Oakland was probably my best friend in the game at, uh, when, when he was when he was in the game, and Artie Moreno in uh, in, in L.A. is a guy that really loves baseball. Uh, you know, he, he watches the East Coast games at four o'clock, and then he watches the West Coast games at seven o'clock. <laughs> he sees more games than anybody. I mean, so there, there's some. I think I've come across some really terrific uh, people among owners. And then, you know, there have been some I didn't care for as much, but uh, I'm not about to mention their name. <laughs> we'll save that for the book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for you, um, there, there's so many things that you've seen. Uh, you, you guys have just finished a collective bargaining agreement. You're going to start a new one. Uh, what are some of the things you're looking forward to seeing take place in this next uh, round of uh, years with this new CBA? Well, the best thing is that we're playing baseball. Uh, you know, people have asked me, did, did, you know, who won? Did the players win? Did the owners win? What do you like? What do you didn't? What do you not like? 
you know, I don't want to talk about any of that. I just want to play baseball. I just think it's great that uh, we, we got it done. And uh, what I'm looking forward to is five years of peace and hopefully the players and the, and the owners work together to make it a better game. Yeah, you should, Mike, you should probably tell him what I told you about settling the, the players and the owners dispute. When, when everything was going on and, and there was no baseball, Joe just told me to say, just let Manfred know that I'm thinking about coming back. And at that point, he knew he could get everything resolved before Joe could get his equipment on. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that was that was quite the the deal, you know. Manfred and I had our had our little tiffs too, but I, I think he, in his heart, he's trying to do everything he can to make the game better. And I I tell I tell these guys all the time, you know, as a as an umpire, your first responsibility is to the game of baseball. And that doesn't necessarily mean the commissioner's office. And your second responsibility is to your profession. And that might not mean the umpire's union. And your third responsibility is to do what you know is morally honest and correct in your heart. And if you do those things in that order, then everything you do will be correct. You, now, you might get killed for it, but everything you do will be correct. But well, I, 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 think, I think we all should realize how lucky we are to be involved in uh, in this sport and this game because the game is America and we are we're just the custodians for it our obligation is to the game and to and to the fans for you Jerry owning a team in two different sports we we look at the NBA and how they market things we look at major league baseball and how they market things do you see any similarities between the two leagues well i'm sure there are similarities the, 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 you know the NBA is a worldwide sport I mean, the NBA games are televised in, I don't know, more countries than I thought existed. I think something like 400 countries. I didn't know there were that many countries. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, it, it's uh, – so it's more worldwide. Baseball is just an American sport. I mean, I know, we, you know, we try to build it internationally. And we, you know, we play it in, in, in Japan and in China. We're playing some games in Europe. But it, it's still basically – it's still America. To me, baseball is uh, – is the soliloquy in Field of Dreams, uh, James Earl Jones' soliloquy about baseball. Uh, I think it says everything about, about this game. And, you know, I know the impact that the game has on people is unbelievable. I mean, when we won our one and only World Series in 2005, you could have gone to any cemetery in the Chicago area the next day, and the graves were decorated with White Sox paraphernalia. Uh, and I, I had... People stopped me on the street or in stores and thanked me. And uh, The following April, one gentleman stopped me in the parking lot and said, my father died 15 minutes after the last out. And he knew, and he died happy. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, that's what this game is all about. Well, you know, that was – I worked that World Series. I was the crew chief of that World Series. And that was one of my favorite World Series because it was only four games. <laughs> yeah, we, made, we made it real short for you. <laughs> although although one, of, one of those games you worked overtime that's, yeah yeah that's, we did <laughs> 14 inning game yeah we were we we were sent to measure your mound that year they had sent one crew in to measure your mound they were claiming that the mound was too high because you were having all these starting pitchers go so deep into the game that uh, they thought you were cheating and everything and so they sent this one crew in there and they, and uh, your head groundskeeper said, I, I don't, ha I don't have a, a level to measure the mound. 
And so he, he called the office and said they couldn't measure. They didn't have the equipment. So they, they called me and sent me in after him. And, of course, Roger told me the same thing. He says, I don't have the level. I said, I don't need that. Just go get some string and a, <laughs> and a tape. <clears throat> and we measured the man. I was with Brian Gorman. And your general manager was standing at the gate waiting for us to finish measuring the mound. And I'll give you this. It wasn't off an inch anywhere on the mound for that measurement. And you hadn't had to change anything. Uh, the only place that it wasn't exactly correct was in the, the hole where the pitcher's foot lands. It was like a half inch below where it should have been when you grade it. But that was that happens every time they throw a pitch. So we're getting up to walk off the field, and Brian Gorman whispers in my ear, let's tell him that it's off and we're going to have to dig up the mound. <laughs> <laughs> so as we're coming off the field, he says, well, what was it? And I said, we're going to have to dig it up. It's off. And his eyes got big and he started screaming. I said, no, it's all right. Just relax. <laughs> I, can I can imagine Roger feeling that way. Uh, you, you, you remind me of two stories. One is that when the Yankees played here, George was absolutely convinced that the mounds and the Yankee bullpen weren't the right height. So, <laughs> so he, used to have, he used to have his guys uh, you know, me 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 measure the mound. Uh, in the bullpen, just to make sure it was it was right. I often thought he probably felt that way because he probably was screwing around with the, the mounds in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> he had to get the idea from yeah. somewhere. But when you talk about Roger Bossard, uh, our groundskeeper, I mean, you know, the field is uh, uh, that's part of his family. He came in to see me one day, and uh, he said to me, "How would you feel if a herd of elephants walked on you?" And I said, well, I, I don't think I would like that very much. And he said, well, you know, when you have concerts here, it's how do you think my grass feels when all those people are walking <laughs> on it? Oh, well, he's been, how long has he been with you? Oh, God, probably 50 years. He, yeah. his, father, his father was the groundskeeper before him. Wow. Yeah. That's well, Jerry, a neat story. Jerry, as we wrap things up, uh, that that certainly that 2005 World Series, as Joe mentioned, it was a quick one. Give me a memory about that, and how do you want to be remembered as being one of the longstanding owners in baseball? Well, I just hope that uh, nobody has to think about remembering me for another few years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really care how I'm, I, uh, I'm remembered, but I guess I, I guess I'd like to be remembered as somebody who really loved the game and. Uh, you know, wasn't in it for personal, you know, for personal, for personal gain at all. Uh, just, just loved the game, respected the game. Uh, that's the way I was taught, you know, growing up in Brooklyn. Uh, what was I, I forgot? What was your other question? Your World Series memory. Oh, the, my World Series memory is the 14 inning game. Um, obviously, I, I remember that last out because there were, you know, there were two great plays made by by uh, Juan Uribe. Uh, for the last two outs, but the, the 14 inning game uh, just kept going on and on and on. And the top of the 14th inning, uh, the leadoff man uh, got on, and Paul Konerko was the next batter, and he hit into a double play. And I got so upset. I was so upset. And I was si sitting in a, in a suite, uh, but in Houston, the seats are outside. So I got, I really got ticked off. I got up, I turned around, and I walked into the suite 
And as I did, I looked up at the monitor and I saw a ball going over the fence. I never saw the home run hit that won the game. <laughs> and so I'll, I'll never forget that. Hey, folks, I'm glad you're listening today and having a chance to listen to Joe and our favorite guests we have on. But I want to talk to you about something else. You know, it's that time of the year where guys are getting a little frisky about different things, and they want to make sure they can perform on the field and in other rooms of the house, if you know what I mean. That's where Blue Chew comes in, and this is something, Joe, that we have had a chance to talk about. And Blue Chew is something that we need to let everybody know that can really help them in a lot of different areas. Well, the coolest thing about Blue Chew is it's an online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. And the chewable tablets are there at a fraction of the cost of the other stuff. You can take them anytime, day or night, and just to get yourself ready for your performance later on. Or anytime. That's the great thing about it. You don't have to set the clock. You can just go when you go. But, you know, here's the deal. So for people who've never heard of Blue Chew, let me explain to you how it works. You just go to bluechew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll see your prescription in, in about a few days. It doesn't take that long. It's a, it's a quick turnaround. And the best part about it is you're doing everything online. Just like you're listening to this show, it's online. No doctor's office visits. No awkward conversations about what do you think or I've got a little problem. And, you know, the neatest thing is you never hear your name called in a pharmacy line at the, at the, at the pharmacy. Bluetooth tablets are made right here in the U.S., and they're prepared and shipped you direct to your door in a discreet package. So if you want more information, just check them out, bluechew.com, and you'll find out that you will have a lot in common with the postman after a while. You'll also find out that first impressions, they are important. But with Blue True, I can guarantee you this, it'll make a lasting impression. And that's what this is all about. So it's time to get off the couch, fellas. Let's get in the ball game. You, you're messing up. You're wasting too much time just thinking about it. Blue Chew will get you moving in the right direction, and I do mean up. You know, a great songwriter once wrote, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And of course, you probably have never heard of him. It was me. But the Blue Chew is free when you use our promo code, Joe West, at checkout. Just pay $5 in shipping, and the BlueChew.com promo code Joe West to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. Well, I can, I can honestly say it's been a privilege to have you on here. And I want to thank you and your entire ball club and for helping me uh, when I set the record in Chicago in, uh, in May for the most games ever umpired. And your staff was uh, – was very cordial to everybody that I brought in. We had people come in from all over the country, and uh, and uh, I I know it was a burden for you, even though you did tell me I had to pay for all the tickets. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and, and I, I can't thank you enough for for being the custodian of the game that you're talking about, and I can't thank you enough for being on with us, and I can't thank you enough for taking care of our game. Well, thank you. I mean, it was an honor. Despite the fact that you screwed up those ball calls, it was an honor <laughs> to have the game here when you set the record. Everybody was proud that uh, that you had asked to, to, to do it here in Chicago. We, we really enjoyed that evening. Well, thank Jerry you. Reinsdorf, we thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you and your baseball team and your basketball team, and we look forward to seeing you down the road, sir. Okay, thank you very much, and good health to everybody. Be careful. 
Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Right. My baby took me to the ballpark to see a baseball game. Lord, it had to be at least 99 in the shade. I was stealing a glance at some tight short pants Just as I turned my head My baby grabbed me by the arm And this is what she said If you cheat on me You'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field You're gonna be long gone You better play it safe And don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me You'll be out at home. You've been listening to 5460, the Joe West podcast, here on the Podcast Heat Network. Make sure to subscribe and don't miss an episode each and every Monday. We'll talk to you next week. She's checking all the signs While I'm enjoying two of the great American pastimes It's fouling up my nerve watching all these curves Remembering what she said to me And if I get caught looking, it's gonna be strike three. If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home. If I catch you playing the field, you're gonna be long gone. You better play it safe and don't do me wrong. Cause if you cheat on me, well, you'll be out at home. If you cheat on me, You'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field You're gonna be long gone You better play it safe And don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me Well you'll be out at home If you cheat on me You'll be out at home